0: God's peace realized. Now, a lot of you young people were in Sunday school on Sunday, so you didn't hear about our message from Sunday. But the message from Sunday was this idea that God's peace is available at all times and in every situation. God's peace is available at all times and in every situation. We looked at a prayer of Paul that he was praying that these believers would practically experience God's peace in their lives and also his presence in their lives. So two Ps there, God's peace and presence that those believers would experience it in a personal, practical kind of a way in their walk with the Lord, that they wouldn't just know about God's peace, but they would actually experience it as they went through their everyday lives. And as I was thinking about that, I thought... You know, what would be a nice illustration of that principle as we have a devotion here tonight? It was something that I've just been thinking about a lot, how one of the number one things that we struggle with is the sense of worry or a sense of anxiety or the sense of fear or dread of the unknown of our everyday lives, and how oftentimes we don't even think or, or realize how important it would be to take advantage of this peace that God offers to his children, not some of the time, but all of the time, not in some situations in our life, but in all of the situations in our life. And I thought, you know, I taught about that in general on Sunday, but there's a lot of maybe examples in the Bible where we could see people that were trusting God, and because they were trusting God, they were experiencing God's rest and God's peace in difficult circumstances that they were facing. And the one that came to my mind more than any others was the story about Daniel. We'll get to that in a second. But some of you young people, because you weren't here on on Sunday, you didn't hear maybe this even introduction, if you will. to what we're talking about when we're talking about God's peace. As you think about different biblical truths that you can find in God's word, there's a lot of them. And this just happens to be one of them, that God is a God of peace, whose peace is available to all of his children, and that peace can be realized in their everyday lives. And so when you think about God's peace being available at all times and in every situation, you have to ask yourself, well, what do we mean by God's peace? Well, we define God's peace as the calmness of body, mind, and spirit that results from trusting in the power and grace of God. Now, that's a lot of words there, but to be at rest would be another way of thinking about that, to have that calmness of mind. How often, kids, are, are you find yourself even in places where your minds are not rested. Your, your mind is spinning, and it's, going, it's running a million miles an hour, and you're having trouble to even settle down, and there's a lot of things that you're thinking about and there's a lot of things that you're maybe upset about or worried about. Maybe even there's things that you're angry about or sometimes there's just even things you're excited about and you're having trouble finding a sense of calm and a sense of rest. And very often, that's maybe one of the number one things that you would hear parents talking to their kids about. A parent would be saying to their child, calm down. Maybe that's just in my house, right, Gus? Calm down, right? Settle down. And in a, th- in a sense there, you're saying have that sense of res- rest, that sense of calm, that calm body, spirit, and mind as we're thinking about going through whatever we're facing in life. Now, what would be the opposite? I'm going to ask you to help, help me out a little bit here tonight. What would be the opposite of having that calmness of body, mind, and spirit or having that sense of tranquility or rest? What would the opposite of that be maybe? What would some emotions be? Calvin, you have one? That's three. Good. Okay. Chaos, angst, and fear. Oh, and you want to throw one in? Sadness Sadness would would be the opposite of peace and rest, right? How about anything else? There's not a right answer to this, so those are just some good emotions to pull out. That that's not the same as being at rest and at peace, is it? Other ones that maybe you think of would be being nervous. Okay, you meant you mentioned being fearful. How about being restless? where you just don't feel settled, where you just can't settle down? Or how about being anxious? I think you maybe mentioned that one. How about another word for anxiety would be to be worried? Is being worried the same as experiencing peace and tranquility and rest and calm, calmness of body, mind, and spirit that God offers when we're trusting him? No, it's not. It's, it's the opposite of that. And so the primary takeaway we had on Sunday was that believers can access God's peace regardless of the circumstances that they're presently facing. Now, kids, circumstances is just a big word for situation, a situation that you face. I replaced one big word with another big word, right? How about just the details of life that are in front of you, the things that you're dealing with? That's maybe an easier way to think about it. Now, life throws a lot of different things at us. Some of them are really hard, aren't they? They're not easy. They're difficult and challenging things. And so the principle was, I don't just experience peace or this tranquility that God can provide to me just because my circumstances or my trials or the things I'm facing in life are kind of easy going from a human perspective or restful from a human perspective. The principle was that I could experience God's rest and peace regardless of the circumstances that I was facing because it's something that is sourced in God, it's provided by God in spite of what I'm facing and it's at a mental level, it's an internal level, it's, a, it's something to do with my spirit being at rest even in the face of maybe a body or circumstances that are physically chaotic as the word that Calvin used, chaos, Calvin used. So instead of that, to experience that, peace, and the thing that we brought out was that that could only come from trusting God. I would never be able to face chaos and things that would normally cause fear or things that would make me worried or anxious, hard things, difficult things, trying things. I could never face those and experience rest if I wasn't trusting that God was in control, that God was good, that God was faithful, that God was present, that God would provide for me. If I wasn't trusting God, I couldn't have peace in those hard situations. I would only have fear and dread and anxiety and angst and and dread and whatever other words that we've talked about here already tonight. And so I wanted to, as, as you think about this practical question, if God's peace is available and it's available regardless of the circumstances, then the question we ended with on Sunday was, are you going to trust God enough to experience his peace in those difficult circumstances that you're facing? Are you going to trust God enough to experience his peace even in those difficult circumstances. Now, again, I wanted to bring out an example that we could look at of a believer, a man of faith, who chose to trust God in a difficult circumstance, and therefore then he would have gotten to experience God's peace even though what he was facing was really challenging and really hard. And I'm going to say it's probably harder than most of the things that you're facing Okay, so right now, there may be some hard things that you're facing that are making it maybe difficult for you to have rest and to have peace because you're not trusting God with what you're going through. But that thing that you're facing and going through tonight, whether you're an adult or a child, it may be really difficult, but it's probably not as difficult as this particular example. So let's turn to Daniel chapter six. We're gonna take a look at a circumstance in life where instead of being thrown to the wolves, like we say as a as a metaphor here, it's thrown to the lions. Now, we're not gonna dwell on the details of this story, but we're gonna read through it tonight, and then we're gonna look at this idea that Daniel, in the face of this, was trusting his God. Most of you know the story well, so we're just gonna read it together. If you've If you're there, we're gonna pick up in verse one of chapter six. Now, I wanna just kind of start by breaking this down a little bit. These First, the problem that Daniel faced was a people problem. Now, it ultimately ended up being a problem that involved lions, but it started out as a problem with people. And what caused the problem that Daniel was having with people? Who knows that before we read these first four verses? What ultimately caused the problems that Daniel was having with others? greed. Greed? Maybe a little bit of greed. Jealousy, there you got it. Okay, so pride was a part of that and greed was a part of that, but really it was an issue of jealousy. So I have this section called Jealousy Rears Its Ugly Head. Jealousy's never pretty, and that's what happened to Daniel. People were jealous of him. Let's read the first four verses. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom... And Darius was the king, if you're not familiar with this story. Uh, so it, pre- it pleased him to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, which were princes, to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, and of whom Daniel was one, so there was like prime ministers of the country, and there's going to be three of them, that the satraps might give account to them. So you're thinking about a government here that had layers, and the king was at the top, then you had these three satraps that were then answered to, or governors that were answered to, or that the satraps or the princes would give answer to. So it was at least three levels to this thing. Now the, sing, the and the, the reason was so that the king would suffer no loss, meaning he was going to entrust his kingdom to these people to watch out for him. Verse three, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the other princes or satraps because of what? Because he had an excellent spirit was in him. Now, was that something that was produced because he was such a good guy? No, it was a spirit that was produced by God in him, an example, a testimony to others. And we're going to see the kind of testimony that Daniel had. Now, he had this excellent spirit in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So saying, instead of splitting this into three, that would then be divided further by these 100 and whatever it was. I wasn't paying attention. 100 and... What was it? Yeah, but how many... 120, you got it. Okay, 120 of them. Instead of three kind of watching over 40 each, then it was gonna just be maybe one, maybe just Daniel. So, verse four, the governors and the satraps, they sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because why? Because he was faithful, nor were nor was there any error or fault found in him. Now, is that a good testimony that Daniel has? So far, so good, right? Would it be good if that's what other people had to find when they searched our lives, that they couldn't find any fault, nothing to criticize us or complain about or or hold up and say, here's a flaw in this person. I found some reason why they're not reliable. Would that be good if you were known in the community as being somebody who was reliable and somebody who was distinguished to have an excellent spirit and somebody who was faithful in the tasks that you were assigned? How many of you would have passed this test? Not many of us, right? Most of us wouldn't be found faithful. Our friends and neighbors, people who spent time with us, if they knew the truth about us, they would know, yeah, there's some real flaws with this person. And you wouldn't have to look that deep to find some flaws in me. And that wasn't true of Daniel though. They looked really deeply and they couldn't find anything to pin on Daniel. Now, so they decided if we can't get him in an honest way or find some fault in him will set him up, right? And so we have the setup here in verses five through nine. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now what a thing to be known for. The only way we're going to be able to get this guy is by using his faith against him because he's so faithful. Wouldn't that be a problem to have people think that of us? The only way we're going to be able to trip this guy up is because he's so steadfast in his faith to God that we'll have to try to find a way to use that against him. That'd be awesome if that was true of us, right? So then verse 6 so these governors and satraps thronged before the king and sat thus and said thus to him king Darius live forever all now what a fake thing because if they were actually looking out for his best interests, they would have wanted Daniel to be exalted because he was a good at his job right so they're kind of full of it they want they greedy as what kelvin said verse 7 all the governors of the kingdom the administrators and the satraps the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm dec- Decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Therefore, now what did they appeal to there? They appealed to his pride and his arrogance, right? That we want everybody to actually worship you. And Darius wasn't thinking straight there. He was thinking like normal people think. Oh, wouldn't it be great if people would pat me on the back and elevate me and put all the spotlight and the focus on me? That's what our flesh naturally wants to do. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. So that's our setup there. Oh, and and I skipped a part there, but it said, um, establish a decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed. Now, that was a part of the law of this country, of the Medes and the Persians, that once something was written as a decree, it could not be altered. Nothing could change it. You couldn't go back and amend it. Like even in our country, we can change the laws. Okay, we can amend the Constitution. We can make changes to our rules if we go through the right processes. But that wasn't true in this country. And so they use that against Daniel. Now, we have Daniel make a decision. He makes a decision to be faithful to God instead of To man, so faithfulness to God rather than man, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, and he's one of the heads of this government, so he knows what it means, he wasn't tricked about this. He went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days, meaning since he was young. Now, think about that for a second. Daniel knew what the cost would be for him to continue to worship the Lord and to say, I'm not going to put any, I'm not going to worship any man. God is, the God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I will worship no one but him. I will serve and do my job and fulfill my job to a human being. I'll be a good employee in a sense, but I'm not going to worship a man. I only worship God. And so he kept praying to God anyway. And that reminded me of Acts chapter five, verse 29, when the authorities of the Jews, they said to Peter and the apostles, do not keep preaching this name of Jesus. We're not gonna tolerate that anymore. And what did they conclude? Verse 29 of Acts five, it says, but Peter and the other apostles answered and they said what? We ought to obey God rather than man. Okay, you got the idea though. They had a decision to make, and this was another example of that. Now, this decision, I want you to know this, especially adults, I want you to see this, but kids too, this decision wasn't a decision made in a vacuum. Sometimes we think that our decisions are one-off decisions. Our life is a a mixture of many different decisions that culminate in habits and, and ways of thinking and ways of handling things that are kind of all build off each other. And so we are not free from our past decisions. Yes, we have a choice to make every day, every moment of every day. We have a decision to make. Am I going to serve God and do what is right? Or am I going to serve myself or serve man? That's true. But what contributes to those decisions, it's dictated and it's maybe not dictated, but it's informed by and it's influenced by the habits and the patterns of decisions that we've made up to that point. And that's why we got to be really careful about the kinds of habits that we make, the kinds of decisions that we make in our lives because one decision leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, leads to habits being formed in our lives where it comes much easier now because we've got some desensitized ourselves to making these bad decisions and it's a little easier each time. Our conscience doesn't sear us quite as much anymore. And pretty soon, it's much easier for us to keep doing the wrong things because we never had a change of heart or a change of mind when God tried to convict us about those things with our conscience being seared to begin with. That's dangerous ground, kids, where God is making you aware of things that are unhealthy, unhelpful, unhealthy, ungodly, and we don't learn from it. We don't take anything from that and trust God enough to help us have victory in those circumstances. And we just say, you know what, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And you do that often enough, and pretty soon those kinds of decisions come pretty easily. All of a sudden, it's not so hard anymore. But you know, the converse of that or the flip side of that is true also. That if we're consistently trusting the Lord, involving the Lord, bringing things to the Lord, praying about things, looking at the word of God, considering and consulting with biblical principles before we make decisions, if we make that a pattern and a habit in our lives, all of a sudden that next decision that comes up, we don't have to think much about it at all. We go to the Lord in prayer, we turn to God's word, we fellowship with other believers and get wise counsel from other people about those decisions. And then what happens? While we're doing that, we're looking in all the right places, taking all the right guidance from the right sources. We're not leaning on our own understanding. We're trusting the Lord with all our heart. What happens? We make the right decisions. And all of a sudden, there can be some momentum there. Now, are we automatically gonna just make the right decision? No, we still have to choose and make choices, but we set ourselves up for success by trusting the Lord once and then trusting him again and then trusting him again and then trusting him again. Pretty soon it becomes something that's a lot easier to do. And you see, Daniel wasn't operating again in a vacuum. He already had an established history. What did it say about Daniel? It, says, it said he had this established walk of faith. He already had a walk of faith that he had relied on and depended on God many times in the past. This was just a natural continuation of what he'd already been doing. It says this prayer to God was his custom since early days. Early days probably of his time having been taken captive but also probably throughout his life he had learned this at a young age. So it's never too, you're never too young to learn these things young people. All right, we move on doing what is right being faithful to the god to god it has a cost involved though trusting god and doing what's right it does it doesn't always go smoothly in human terms it always benefits us spiritually but sometimes it can cause us to have to suffer for the sake of the savior to have to deal with persecution for the sake of god and doing what is right let's read about it and there was a cost here verse 11 we'll pick up our our story verse 11 it says then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they knew they would because he had a history again of, being, of doing so. Verse 12, And they went before the king and they spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree? They said to the king, That every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you are king shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, the thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Verse 13, so they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, there's their disdain for him coming out, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, you see how they think they're superior to him, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself, See, he knew he had been tricked. He knew he had been trapped. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He tried to figure out, is there some way to skirt this rule, to skirt this law? Then the men approached the king, and they said to the king, know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Imagine the gall of these people to just want to go to the king who they know is distraught about this and to rub it in. I would say they're kind of daft. You know what it means to be daft, kids? Yeah. To be daft means that they're not too bright. They're not using the brains that God gave them. Because if they've been thinking clearly, is upsetting the emperor or the ruler of a country back in these days, is that kind of a, a good, smart decision? Yeah. Is that going to lend itself to your future success? No. And we'll see how this comes back to get them in the long run. But verse 16, I digress. I couldn't help, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 16. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But now listen to what the king says. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, What what a testimony, he will deliver you Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Verse 18, now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. He wasn't celebrating, he was sad. And his sleep went from him, meaning he couldn't sleep. So a couple of things. One, I just hope you're seeing here that the cost, there is a cost involved at times in being faithful to God. The second thing I want you to see is that there's a value or a great impact to your testimony. Your reputation and your testimony has a great impact as it relates to other people in your life. Daniel, being one of the heads of this country, was working in close proximity with the king. And so doing so, the king spent a bunch of time with him, and he learned about the things that mattered to Daniel. He learned about Daniel's God and how much Daniel's God meant to him and how faithful and loyal that Daniel was and thankful to be a child of God. And he must have talked about him. He must have shown his faith. He must, have, he must have prayed in front of the king or talked about his faith in Jehovah, in, in God. And, and he must have talked about what a personal God this was. How, how Yahweh would be a personal God who was, had an intimate relationship with his children. The reason being is because listen to what the king says. Your God, meaning a personal God, whom you serve continuously, he will deliver you. Now, how could the king have that conviction about a God that was? He was only exposed to through the witness of Daniel, perhaps Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, maybe others. You know that were deported from the nation, nation of Israel had originally been deported. I don't know, but it had a big impact on the ruler of this country. You know, we don't we don't think about sometimes how big of an impact our testimony has. But there's some level of confidence here that the king has. Now, not enough confidence that he went home and slept well that night. He didn't. Not, not enough that he was, he was not restless. He was restless. But this is what he says. Anyway, does God out, undertake? Yes, God undertakes. Let's read the rest of our story starting in verse 19. In verse 19, it says, "...then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions." And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. You see how he's not sure. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, again personal God, whom you serve continually, repeated again, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God, personal God, sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Because he believed in his God. Now, Again, here we see Daniel's testimony on display. What does the king say here? The king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, how would you like to have the people around you call you, identify you as a servant of the living God? Is that what your life is all about? Man, this is what life should be all about. This is what I would love to be known for. I would love for people to know me as a servant of the living God. Yet not I, but what? But Christ that liveth in me. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ that liveth in me. I don't live unto myself anymore. As a Christian, as a child of God, as one that's born again into the family of God, I've been made alive. I've been taken from death and translated to life. I've been taken from in Adam to be placed in Christ so I can live with a meaning and live with purpose and have a a reason for existing. And that reason isn't to live for myself, but to live for the one who loved me and gave himself for me so that I could be described as a servant of the living God, an ambassador for Jesus Christ, a light bearer for him as a reflection of God working in and through my life. Clay, flexible clay, not brittle clay, flexible clay in the hands of the master potter so that God could work and move in my life and use me to accomplish his purposes and not my own. But you know what comes naturally, kids? Serving the Lord or living for yourself? yourself. That's right. Sad but true. That's what comes by default, adults, right? Living for yourself, not living for Christ. But whom you serve continually as a servant of the living God? Now he says, has he been able to deliver you? Now, I want you to note this. In this instance, God undertook to provide physical salvation. Does God always undertake to provide physical salvation in the circumstances and trials that we face? Kids, what do you think? Does God always undertake to provide physical salvation meaning to take away the physical problems, the human problems that we're facing? Yeah. No. Sometimes sometimes you have an injury and sometimes you pray about it and sometimes after you pray, you still have an injury, right? Sometimes you have a problem with a bully and sometimes you pray about it and you know what? You go back to that next time you meet that person and you still have what? A bully. But when you pray about it, is God always faithful to undertake and provide in your life on a spiritual plane? Does God always provide you the strength you need to face those trials? Does God promise He'll never leave you or forsake you, that He'll be right with you in that trial? So the next time you're getting punched in the face by that bully, are you going to be alone in that? No, you never were as God's child, but having gone to Him for strength, can you have strength? that you didn't have before? Very often, God doesn't actually answer our prayers this way. Very often, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect through your weakness. Very often, we just have to live with the trials and circumstances that we're facing, the hard things in our life. That's not what it means that God is faithful. God is faithful in the sense that he'll never abandon us in the face of those trials, that he'll never leave us helpless, that he'll never leave us alone, that he'll never leave us without his comfort, without his peace, without his perspective on what we're facing. That's what. But in this case, he actually undertook to provide for physical salvation and sometimes he does in our lives too. Sometimes he'll actually deal with And and remove that actual, the trial that's in front of us. And he's done that in my life many times. And, And perhaps he's done that in your life. And maybe he'll do it again. But it doesn't mean he always does. But he undertakes by being a God who is faithful to provide what we really need spiritually in the face of the trials that we face. But in this case, he sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me. Now here's a question. Some of you are scratching your head and you're saying, I thought this was about somebody who experienced God's peace. Where does it say anything about peace? How do we know that Daniel experienced God's peace in the midst of this trial? you have an idea, Calvin? to peace, well, praying to kill Yeah, and I think I'm, I'm going to help you a little bit more. It's, it's that idea. The idea is that was he trusting God in this trial? And if you're trusting God, do you automatically have God's peace then? That's what the Bible says. If you're trusting me and you're believing in me, then as a byproduct of your faith in me, you're going to experience my peace. They can't be separated. I can't be presently enjoying and trusting and depending on God, experiencing intimate fellowship with him, where I am 100% convinced that he's able... And at the same time, not experience his, the hope that he provides, the peace that he provides, the joy that he provides, the contentment that he provides in the face of the hard things that I'm going through. I don't have to be focused on, am I going to somehow figure out a way to find God's peace? I experience God's peace. I have God's peace when I am trusting him, when I'm resting in him, when I'm leaning into him. I have God's peace. That's how I get the peace is that I'm in that moment, I'm trusting God. And so then I experience his peace. And so that's how we can know that because God's peace is always a byproduct of trusting God, that calmness of body, mind, and spirit. And Daniel is said to have what? Believed in his God. How did our story end here tonight? Verse 23, where it said, so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Now, in in one part, you could say that All that's saying is that he was rescued by God because he trusted God and God chose to honor that trust by providing physical salvation. And that's true. But it's also true that because he was believing God and trusting in God, he was going to be a victor in this no matter what. If Daniel would have been able to experience joy and peace, hope, even if as he was falling through the air toward these hungry lions... He had no idea whether God was going to save him from the lions or not. Could he still have been experiencing God's joy and God's peace and God's hope? In those split seconds, could he have been resting in his God? The answer is yes. And from the text here, I take the position that he was. Now, even as he was being eaten by the lions, could he have been experiencing God's hope and God's peace and God's rest and God's joy? Yes. Was Stephen experiencing God's hope and God's rest and God's peace while he was being stoned? Yes. Yeah, he was. Where was his gaze fixed? Where was, he, where was his eyes looking, Stephen, while he was being stoned? He was looking up into heaven, wasn't he? That's where we need to be looking when we're facing these trials. And then guess what? We'll automatically experience God's peace and his rest if that's true so from my perspective it's safe to conclude that Daniel experienced rest even in this situation because he said repeatedly throughout the story to have been trusting God to being serving God continually to being having decided that, that walking by faith was more important than in obeying God and being faithful to God was more important than being obedient to man and you know Young people, what's, when, you, when you see this story about Daniel in the lion's den, what sometimes do you see in those pictures that they show you in Sunday school? What is Daniel doing in the lion's den? What is he doing? Pray. Sometimes praying. What, what did the picture show other times? With the lions. He's just sitting with the lions. Owen? Sometimes he's petting them. Have any of you seen pictures where he's actually using a lion for a pillow? Have uh, you ever seen pictures where it's depicted that Daniel was actually sleeping through the night and the lions are just cuddled up like a kitten? The more you look at the story, is that too hard? Is that too much of a stretch of the imagination? No, I actually think they might, that might be quite accurate. I think that given what we've read about Daniel here, I think Daniel spent this night just resting in God's provision. Maybe he was prayed his way through the night, but have you ever tried to pray your way through the night? Raise your hand if you've tried to pray your way through the night. Okay, how many of you made it through the night? You prayed all the way through the night. Is there anyone who's ever tried to pray through a hard thing at night and not fallen asleep? That very rarely happens, right? We start to experience God's peace as we're praying, don't we? experience God's rest as we're praying, the eyes start to kind of get heavy. And very often in my life, as I've been struggling with fear, anxiety, worry, these hard things that are the opposite of God's peace, as I've gone to the Lord in prayer, come boldly to the throne of grace, that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, I found it, and I've fallen asleep. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for you, O Lord, make us me to dwell in safety, That's what Daniel experienced here. So is God's peace available at all times and in every situation? Is it? Is it available? Can the child of God access God's peace? How? What do you have to be doing to experience God's peace? Trusting in him. him. Thanks for having your hand up. Trusting in him. So is the question, can we? No, we can. The question is, will we? Will we trust God with the situations that we're facing even tonight so that we can experience God's peace and God's rest? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could spend here together tonight with this devotion from Daniel. Pray for this meal and all the food that you've made available to us. Thank you for providing it. Thank you for all the hard work that went into even bringing it here, preparing it, cooking it, chopping it up, dicing it, stirring it, serving it, cleaning up, setting up, even all of the things that go on to make these things, these nights possible. Thank you for each and every person that had a hand in it, but thank you most of all to you for being a God who provides the things we need. And we need this time of fellowship here tonight. Pray that we would see how valuable it is that we would take advantage of it and be thankful for it. Thank you for being such a good God who gives us your peace when we trust you. Pray that we would keep our eyes on you and we would learn to trust you more and more, a little bit more every day so that we could grow in our understanding and grow in our faith. Help our unbelief when we're not trusting you. Help us to get our eyes back on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, kids, as I often tell you on these church fellowship nights, it's okay to